0: Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 12, beginning in verse nine. John chapter 12, beginning in verse nine. This is a rhetorical question, I realize. I know the answer already. But have you ever been to an uh, athletic event where everybody was just going? Crazy. Maybe it was a Kentucky basketball game or another type of sporting event, but everybody was just going wild. And when there was a great shot or or a great uh, play of some sort, you might hear people all around you saying, Praise the Lord! They made the shot. Maybe those people who are shouting, Praise the Lord! We're not necessarily full of the Spirit, but maybe full of spirits. I don't know. But you know what I'm getting at? There, there's all sorts of excitement. There's all sorts of, of zeal that can be false zeal, can be wasted zeal, can even be foolish zeal that comes out many, many times. The passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning out of John's Gospel, it looks like everybody is zealous for christ it looks like everybody as a matter of fact in that last verse we're going to read today in verse 19 the pharisees are so shook up about the attention jesus is getting it says look the whole world has gone after him everybody loves jesus thus the title of the sermon it's just like everybody is just in love with Jesus everywhere. Nobody's paying us any attention anymore, the Pharisees are saying. We, we've lost all control here. Everybody loves Jesus. And it looked that way. Listen to the scriptures. as I read this passage, and then let's talk about it a minute. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. We looked at these first three verses last week. We're just kind of using them as an overlap. They learned that he, that is Jesus, was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on the account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Psalm 118 that Ricky read just a moment ago, prophecy being fulfilled. Verse 14, Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it as it is written, Zechariah 9, 9, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. These things the disciples, they didn't understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, that is after the resurrection, when he was in their presence and with the ascension, when he was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him. Because they th- they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see you're not doing any good. You're not discouraging the people at all. For look, the whole world has gone after him i want you to see something in this narrative i wrote in the grace notes article this week that it's very easy to look at narratives in scripture of which the gospels and the book of acts particularly are they're narratives about what is happening they're, they're recording historical events and it's real easy to look at that and just say oh that's what happened and fail to see the underlying truth that God is wanting us to see and understand as believers in the 21st century looking at something that happened back in the 1st century. God is wanting us to see a contrast here I think between what just took place in, in La- with Lazarus and Martha and Mary in that time when Mary broke that perfume and anointed his feet with that perfume and wiped it with her hair. God is wanting us to see that there's a great contrast between the worship that Mary did and the worship that these people are doing, although both of them have the appearance of some kind of worship. Mary's was a zeal that was a quiet zeal, a deep zeal, a humble zeal, just wanting to honor and glorify her Savior, the one in whom she had believed and was believing. The zeal of the crowds are the zeal of noise. And I want you to understand that while the zeal of noise can be a very real zeal at times, there are times when the zeal of noise covers up something that's really lacking. You can go to a sporting event and see zeal that has no purpose other than for a few moments yelling for a team. I can be guilty of that. I will do that regularly over the next 15 weeks. I mean, I, this, it's a normal thing to get involved in something that is, is exciting and, and you want to pull for your team. But it's a whole other thing to see that that can almost enter into an area that looks like worship when it's really not for anything of any meaning. And We are called to let our zeal be seen in a very real and very genuine way. Was there anything wrong With the crowds grabbing up the palm trees or palm branches and and waving them at the Lord as He came in through the town singing Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. No, there's nothing wrong with that. They were expressing a truth. It was a truth that they didn't understand. It was a truth that would be short lived, but it was nonetheless a truth that was being proclaimed even as, as. as some of the unbelievers, some of the Sanhedrin, and later even Pilate will proclaim truth without even recognizing, without even knowing that they are proclaiming truth. Caiaphas prophesied truth that one man would die for the people, and he didn't even know what he was saying, but it was truth. These people are proclaiming truth with zeal, with loudness, They don't really even understand, many of them, what they're doing. John doesn't tell us how many people were there. He didn't have counters that would count the crowd, I suppose, uh, as we tend to do, you know, to see how many people are here. He doesn't tell us. He says the crowds went after him. He does say in verse 12, it was a large crowd the next day that came out. Jerusalem swelled during the Passover. As a matter of fact, The city of Jerusalem during this time probably had about 50,000 residents. It's not a huge place. Not a whole lot bigger than Somerset. It was not huge in and of itself, but on Passover time, that was the most holy day of the year, the most holy festival of the year, the most holy time when the people came to Jerusalem to worship. Now, scholars will debate on how many were actually there. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote several years after this particular passover and said that on passover that year there were 2.7 million people in jerusalem now most scholars think josephus had a way of being baptist and kind of swelling the numbers a little bit you know they josephus while a jewish historian kind of shows some baptist traits there's no doubt Most people realize or say that there was no way Jerusalem could handle 2.7 million people. As a matter of fact, the the city itself probably couldn't handle more than maybe 100,000 packed. But the people lived, they they camped out on the hillsides. They camped outside the city. They camped all around Jerusalem. And so it's not at all impossible that, that maybe there was half a million people that gathered on this particular Passover. When Jesus was coming, his word had spread throughout the land, especially this thing about Lazarus, this thing about this man who had died and Jesus had yelled into a hole in the ground and he had come out of that grave. I mean, th- you know, that's something you just hear about. Even by word of mouth, it spreads rather fast. They didn't have the mass communications we have to get the word out, or there'd been even more. But, but they, you know, people just kind of talk about that sort of thing. They had never seen that happen before around Jerusalem, even it was out in Bethany. And so now they're, they're getting the word out. And so the people show up. The people show up. And they come, and they follow the crowds, and it's the thing to do. We want to go see Jesus. We also want to go see Lazarus. We've never seen a man who's dead four days, and now he's walking around. And we want to see Jesus, and we want to see Lazarus, and we're, we're all excited about this. And my neighbors are going, my friends are going, everybody's going after Jesus, everybody's following him, everybody loves Jesus. Let's go see what's happening. You know, if those people were true believers... It would have stalled the crucifixion. Because there's no way that the there's no way that they could have overcome that kind of a mob rule if 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 all of these were true believers, if they all really were expressing something to the heart more than just something of their voice. You know, we used to live in a time when it was kind of the popular thing to follow Jesus. Or at least to be in church i mean it used to be that everybody who was anybody that had any kind of business dealings or any kind of political aspirations they were going to be in church i mean they were they wanted to be in a church that was somewhat respectable they wanted to be in a church that that, that the community kind of looked up to a friend of mine who's from south mississippi tells a story about when he was a congressional aide back in his younger years right after college Uh, working for one of the the South Mississippi congressmen, that he had a man come to him one day, a friend of his from college, who was an atheist. And his friend said, let me ask you something. Uh, Can you tell me a church in town that has a good reputation but doesn't require much? And my friend looked at him and said, what do you mean that it doesn't require much? I said, well, you know, I don't, want any, I don't want a church that's going to expect me to be there every Sunday. I don't want a church that's going to expect me to give money because I'm an atheist. I'm not going to give a lot of money to the church. I don't want a church that's going to expect me to, to show some kind of leadership or anything. I just want a church that I can join and be able to say I'm a member of all, but they won't require much of me. Now, what you understand is this was back 20, 25 years ago. And at least in South Mississippi and in a lot of places in the country during those days, if you were not a member of the church, you could forget running for public office. And all this guy cared about was being able to say, I, I believe in Jesus because I'm a member of a church, and, and, but there's no real faith there, there's no real belief there. So he wanted a church, he just wouldn't require much of him. Today you can run for public office and declare yourself an atheist, or anything else for that matter, and it's happening. There's no, there's no judgment on you whether you're a good person or a bad person because you're a church member or not. The, the world kind of looks at it and says, well, you know, whatever. If you can do something for me, I'll vote for you. That's kind of the, that's kind of the approach to the, to the whole thing of, of politics today. It's kind of how these people were. Here was a man who had raised someone from the dead. Here's a man who they'd heard had made the blind to see, had made the cripple to walk, had turned water into wine, had done all of these things, all of these signs, all of these miracles... And they basically ran out and said, here's a man who can be our king and who can do something for us, who can run the the, the Romans out of Israel, running out of Jerusalem, who can help us by retaking this in a political, military sort of way. And that's what they were looking for. They didn't understand this whole thing of kingship. As a matter of fact, John tells us the disciples didn't even understand it until later. When they said, Hosanna... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were talking about prophecy that was very uh, 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 messianic. But their idea of messianic prophecy and their idea of the Messiah and their idea of who he would be coming was one who would politically rescue them from their oppressors so they, they cried, yes, blessed is who comes in the Lord. We're about to get something out of this. This is about to be something good for us. We're about to get something by going out to Jesus. But in just a very few hours, that whole tide was going to turn. In just a very few hours, the crowds were not going to be very popular It was not going to be easy to go after him. As a matter of fact, there's going to be in just a few hours of time when even those 12 and the 11 that will remain will scatter and hide for fear of their own lives. There's going to come a time in this narrative that we're going to be reading over the next couple of months when we're going to see that even those who had been with him for three years plus were going to go and hide because it was scary to worship Christ. It was scary. It was was downright dangerous to worship Christ. It was dangerous to call him Messiah. It was dangerous to call him Lord. It was dangerous to be seen with him, much less known as one of his disciples, so much so that we'll see Peter saying, I never knew him. Don't know who you're talking about. It was one of the most intimate disciples with our Lord. You look on the streets of Jerusalem as Jesus comes riding in on that donkey. Now, see the imagery here is kind of a a normal thing for a conquering king or a conquering soldier who's been off and defeated the enemy. And they would usually come riding in on a stallion, a a fine horse. And the people would crowd the streets and they would sing and praise. They'd come back from victory. They rejoiced that, that their side had won. So there's a, there's a little strange imagery here that this not the horse, it's not the stallion, but it's a donkey. A donkey's colt. My horse is majestic. A horse is regal. A horse is royal. A donkey? Can't help but think of the donkey in Shrek. I mean, you know, it's just not a very... Not a very noble animal. It's just a beast of burden. Jesus takes that, rides that donkey through. They just see it as a king coming. They just see it as a political rescuer coming. But he's coming in humility. The king of glory, the one who created all this stuff, the one who is about to be the Redeemer, the one who is coming into Jerusalem, not on somebody else's time, but on his own time, in his own time, and in the timing of the Father, not the Pharisees, not the Sanhedrin, not the Sadducees, not the Roman government, God's timing. Instead of getting on a stallion and coming in like they would really expect him to be, he chose a donkey. And in doing that, Jesus is basically saying, I'm here. I'm here to do what I came to do. They like that at this moment. Because they thought what he was there to do was something other than what he was there to do. He was there to be a Savior. He was there to begin to initiate, if you will, the, 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 the visible Victory of Christ over sin. He was there to inaugurate a kingdom, but not a kingdom like they understood. Not a kingdom with palaces and boundaries and armies with swords and arrows and other implements of armor. He was there to establish a kingdom without boundaries, a kingdom for God's people. And they didn't understand that. So when he didn't go in and immediately throw Pilate out, and didn't go in and and, and put the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin in their place and say, I am here now to rule over all of you from this throne of David at the temple, then they... They were more confused than ever. I think the disciples were a little confused. I think John was a little confused. Right? This is not going the way we planned. This is not going the way we thought it would. It wasn't until after he was glorified, John says. I didn't understand this. The disciples did not understand this at first, these things. But when Jesus was glorified, then we remembered. Then they remembered that these things were written of him in Zechariah and in Psalm, in the Psalms, and, and and that they, the people, had done these things to him. John says, Listen, this was confusing. And it wasn't just confusing to them then, it it remains confusing to our world today. It, it, It remains confusing today to a lot of people who hear that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, He is the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords, He is the one who reigns over everything and yet they see evil existing. If you ask most of your friends who say they don't believe, and some who say they're atheists even, I, I read an article in the Washington Post this past week. It was fascinating. It said how, how an atheist lives the good life. I mean, they're, they're evangelistic. They're, they're in some ways more evangelistic than the church is today, folks. They're evangelistic and zealous for their cause. But part of their problem is that we, just, we don't see this. How can one man die for you? How can one man bear your sins so that you're forgiven? How can one man be the king of all creation and the king of all glory and yet die? And not just die, die a horrible death. So it used to be that, you know, our our churches were attendance was brimming. It was was exploding. And, and, you know, there was a time just 20, 30 years ago, when, when, you know, our our goals is as as churches, sadly, I will add, was not so much seeing people really come to know the Lord, as was just filling the place up. Let's draw a crowd. Let's entertain. Let's get all excited. Let's, let's make it look like something that they would go to for a concert or, 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 or get, a, get a pastor who can be an entertainer and, and, and wow them with his jokes and let's bring in a crowd. And we did it. read back in church history, and I'm always amazed at our, our themes. Some of you remember these, a million more in 54. I was only three then, I don't remember that. But it always had to do with just drawing a crowd, getting more, without really clear, clearly delineating the gospel message. Right now, there's any, on any given day, I'll get an email from some publication or some study group or something bemoaning the fact that our church attendance is, is dropping ours isn't necessarily that much but but around the country it is it, uh, church attendance is off by millions part of that's because of a lack of of real commitment part of that's because church members who used to just be there every sunday are now there you know, three out of four, two out of four. And so when you're there that way, if you've got 400 people and half of them are only there three out of four, your attendance average would go from 400 down to about 325, just on the just averaging. So it looks like attendance is dropping. But part of it is that there's a lot of people who do not know Christ who are saying, you well, know, why am I doing this? I don't really trust. I don't really believe. I don't, I, there's, I've not really had a, a change in my life. God has not really done a work of conversion in my life. I'm not really committed to Christ. I'm just doing this to go through motions. And it used to be I needed to do it for my business or my career or for my respectability in the community. But hey, I see people that're respectable now that don't go to church, and they're respectable and they have a they have a reputation of being good people, quote unquote is dropping I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing in this light the church we want everybody coming in that will hear the the truth being preached but the church is made up the the church is made up of those who believe in Christ those who place their trust in him Not not just a Hosanna, praise him who comes in the name of the Lord, excitement kind of thing because the crowd's going there, but one who's like Mary, who have humbly bowed before him and who have humbly said, you are my Lord and I worship you and I I adore you, not because of what I can get from you not because you might give me a kingdom, not because you might place me in a place of honor or a place of authority, but I honor you, I worship you, I bow before you, not because of what I can get or who I am, but because of who you are. Because you are the king of glory. Because you are the king of kings. Because you are the creator and the sustainer. Because you are the one that is to be our vision. We're to see him in his glory and and be humbled by that. Be grateful to him for what he's done. And to worship him. And then to proclaim him boldly. To see that there is a world out there that's just like these Hosanna yellers. They're not believers. They're merely in this great drama that's coming to an end at the end of Christ's life. And they're, they're prophesying and they're speaking truth, but they don't even understand that truth. And there are millions of people around us who are just like that. And it's our call. It's our responsibility to proclaim Him boldly. If we really believe he's who he said he is. So you see, there's a contrast here between Mary's worship and the crowd. And, and I think there there has to be a, a sense in which we come to see and evaluate and ask, where are we? Where are we in this drama? Where are we in this narrative? Maybe you need to ask someone else that knows you well. Am I a Mary? Humbly bowing to the feet of Christ just because I want to worship Him? Or I am the people. I'll praise you. I'll wave at you. I'll wave palm branches at you, which was a, a, a symbol of Israel, symbol of authority on their coins and everything. I'll praise the palm branches at you. If you'll do something for me. One of my most hated musicals ever. I've seen it. But it really teaches a story. There's really a lot of truth there. And it's Jesus Christ, Superstar. I I really am captured by Herod in that. When he just says to Jesus, do something, do something to show me. Walk across my swimming pool, he says. Do something to show, you know, wow me. Wow me with who you are. Too many people today, even sitting in our churches, that are not wowed by the Savior on the cross and resurrected. They're not wowed by who he is and what he's done. They want something new. Lord, I've got a sickness, and if you won't heal my sickness, I won't worship you. Lord, I've got a problem. If you don't solve my problem, then I won't worship you. Lord, I, I'm not happy. If you won't make me happy, then I'm not going to worship you. See, then we're making it all about ourselves. It's really all about Him. It's really and truly and fully about Christ. You know, every believer needs to share the gospel with themselves every day. And then share it with others. Every believer needs to come to that quiet time in their private worship and in public worship, where they're bowing before Jesus like Mary did. And not just running after him because they heard he raised somebody from the dead and they want to see the dead man alive. Not just because they want to see if they can do something for them. but Seeing him as who he is. Worshipping him for who he is submitting to Him and humbling ourselves before Him because of who He is. Yeah. There is a zeal that is a false zeal. There's a zeal that is a wasted zeal. But there is a zeal There's a true zeal. A zeal for Christ that comes out of our worship and overflows our lives. And it may not be loud and it may not be boisterous, but it's faithful. A faithful zeal in worship, a faithful zeal in missions, a faithful zeal in sharing the gospel with our neighbors, a faithful zeal with, with desiring with all our heart by His grace to live it out before a world that does not understand it. Do you have a zeal? What kind is it? Let's pray. Father, we are in your presence because you've called us here. We are here to worship you because you are worthy of that worship. Lord, protect us from being like the the crowd that just says, as long as everybody else is going along, I'll make my presence known. But boy, when the crowd dies out, we certainly can't stand alone with zeal for you. Lord, bring us like Mary to bow. Bow. Bring us like Mary to see you in your, your glory. And then share that glory with others. Father, we adore you. We worship you. And now as we sing, I will glory in my Redeemer as our hymn of commitment invitation. Father, help us to glory in you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.